Välkomna till Hälsorevolutionen. Idag tänkte vi presentera ännu ett favoritavsnitt i repris som passar så här mitt i mörkaste kallaste januari. Vi har fått många nya lyssnare och vill gärna påminna om den katalog av över 120 avsnitt som vi har spelat in hittills. Mm, och det här var ett avsnitt som släpptes mitt i vintern i februari förra året. Ett möte med den brittiska författaren Catherine May som har skrivit boken Övervintring. Vikten av vila och återhämtning i livets svåra stunder. Panda time helt enkelt ja, vad det verkligen. betyder. Och Catherine May pratar om att utforska sin personliga vinter. Stanna upp och sluta snabbspola allt i livet. Och hur du kan bli bättre på att följa naturens växlingar. Helt enkelt livets ebb och flod, sommar och vinter. Allt som är livet, allt går i cykler. Men ibland kan det ju vara svårt att acceptera. Ja, det här var en bok som berörde oss båda så mycket mm. och så mm. vackert skriven. Jag hade förmånen att få översätta den och ge ja, ut den. Ja, otroligt vackert översatt också Karina. Ja, tack. Det var, det var ett, ett härligt arbete. Och den boken har gett massor av perspektiv på både stress och utmattning och det prestationssamhälle som vi lever i och ibland behöver ta ett steg tillbaka. Mm. Det, här, det här är ju en perfekt podd att lyssna på om du ut och går en promenad till exempel. Ja. För den är väldigt sinnesvidgande just kring vad naturen kan betyda mm. som läkande kraft. Allt nu när våren ska komma, allt som ska knoppa, gror under vintern, ja. under ytan, just därför att det får vara vila. Think we come back as softer, gentler, more open people from a wintering. Or we do if we've really let it in. The strangeness of a time when we're spending a lot of time in darkness and when our dreams are closer to us because we're waking in the night and when we're uncertain about what's moving around in the shadows almost. And that is a part of winter that I think we need to go back to embracing. I, I'm just picturing this lovely cozy panda. Oh yeah, it's yeah. irresistible. <laughs> we now have the dormouse, we have the panda. <laughs> you need to find a dormouse concept now, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we do, we do, we do. Välkomna till Hälsorevolutionen, podden som vill hjälpa dig att finna din bästa livsrytm och ditt djupaste välmående. Idag ska vi undersöka livets ebb och flod, sommar och vinter, hur livet går i cykler och hur vi kan bli mer accepterande för just livets växlingar. Karina Nundstedt heter jag och är producent för podden och även förläggare. Och det här intresserar ju dig, Maria. Ja, men verkligen alltså. Jag tror att det här är en av våra stora samtids, på något sätt, dilemman. Vi lever så stressande, stressigt. Och vi får egentligen bara respekt av omgivningen när vi är på, när vi levererar, när vi jobbar, när vi har bakat bullar. Men vi behöver ju lika mycket vår ro och vår vila. Och ibland slår livet till och då måste man få vara i ja. vintern, ja. Liksom, tänker jag. Jag heter Maria Borelius, vetenskapsjournalist och författare. Och jag ser verkligen fram emot att möta dagens gäst, den brittiska författaren Catherine May. Som skrivit en liten juvel till bok som på svenska heter Övervintring och på engelska Wintering. Karina, vad är det här för bok? 
Ja, men det här är en bok som, som kom till mig via tips från andra författare jag gillar. Och lite så brukar jag nosa upp nya böcker som jag vill ge, upp, ge ut på mitt eget förlag. Så det var förra vintern. Vi var ganska trötta i familjen. Anders var ju väldigt sjuk, min man Anders. Och vi hade fått veta att hans cellgifter inte längre fungerade men han skulle få testa en ny alternativmedicin. Men det var vinter både på utsidan och på insidan så, mm. så att säga. Både när vi öppnade dörren och när man kände efter själv. Och den, ja. Och då kom den här boken till mig, det vill säga jag eh, bad att få läsa manus som man gör innan man bestämmer sig för att eh, köpa rättigheter till att ge ut en, en bok. Och Ja, den är så vackert skriven. Det handlar ju just om varför det är så viktigt för oss människor, precis som du säger, att vila och återhämta oss. Och varför många av oss har liksom tröttnat på att snabbspola livet, att det bara ska vara nästa grej, nästa grej, nästa grej. Ja, jag hörde just om någon familj som var så här att när de är på en semester, det de gör sista dagen är alltid att planera nästa semester. Ja, ja. Om den är ett år bort eller ja. någonting sånt där. Liksom. Ja, fint. Det, det är det här, jo, men det är det här snabbspola. Det, 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 jag, ja. jag är det ju, först tänkte jag att det var fint eftersom du har om det och längta ja, efter. Ja, det är så. Det är ja, men det är ändå brygga. det här snabbspola ja. att mm. vi njuter nu, men nu ska vi njuta ännu mer. Ja. Och, och det var inget fel med det, men jag tänker på det här. Jag har ju också läst, Catherine May, både den svenska översättningen mm. som du har gjort. Ja, nej men det, det, det var ju så wow. att Anders eh, översatte böcker och skulle ha översatt den här boken. Men det gick inte då. Och så i somras så hade jag ingen översättare. Jag hade redan flyttat utgivningen en gång på grund av allt som hade hänt med ja, verkligen livet. Natt svart när Anders gick bort. Men så att i augusti bara, shit jag har ingen översättare. Vad ska jag göra? Och sen bara vaknade jag morgon och sa, nej jag ska göra det själv. För jag tycker så mycket om den här boken. Mm. Och sen var ju det värsta lyxen att mm. få tillbringa tid med att skriva sig igenom den här boken. Mm. Inte bara läsa mm. den. Så det var en ny upplevelse och jag har gjort mitt allra bästa. Och väldigt vackert. Ingen har sagt ännu att det är dåligt till nej. och med någon som har sagt att det är bra. Så jag, jag är så glad för det. Och jag har skrivit ett förord till boken också som... Ja, för att det, det liksom blev så personligt. Mm. Jag har ju också läst både faktiskt på engelska och svenska. Och det är ju en otroligt vacker eh, engelsk text. Och du har gjort så skimrande, fint språk. Tack. Och den är ju eh, ja, men den är liksom naturlyrisk. Den är mänskligt väldigt klok. Och den innehåller liksom väldigt mycket mytologi, legend, kultur, mm, reflektioner. Från det ja. lilla hasselmusen som ligger och sover liksom mm. genom hela vintern till gamla keltiska legender och mm. just hela tiden på temat den här säsongen mm. när vi på ytan tror att ingenting händer mm. men egentligen är det då kanske det mesta händer mm. för det sker liksom inom oss mm. allt nu när våren ska komma allt som ska knoppa mm. gror under vintern ja. under ytan just därför att det får vara vila och all vår, att vi smälter och att vi lär oss, att vi bygger muskler, det gör vi ju vila. Mm. Vi har pratat om pandan. Mm. Ja. Panda, pandariket, är inte det här pandariket? Jo, visst är det det. Och det, och, och det är ett så lärorikt rike. Ja. I vår tid så verkar det ju som att vi alla behöver återhämtning mer än någonsin. Mm. Och, och Catherine May skriver just detta, att vi, vi pratar om det hela tiden, men... 
Så här skriver hon att ägna sig åt de här djupt omoderna sysslorna, sakta ner, låta fritiden ta mer plats, få tillräckligt med sömn, vila, är ett radikalt ställningstagande men helt nödvändigt. Mm. Och varför har det blivit så nu tror du? Det har nog varit aktuellt ganska länge men det har ställts på sin spets tror jag med den digitala värld som vi lever i. Där det hela tiden är nästa avsnitt, nästa klick, ännu fler likes. Det blir liksom inte tillräckligt. Och visst en säsong på en tv-serie kan ta slut men då vill du ju snabbt ersätta det med något annat. För att få kvar den där mysiga känslan i tv-soffan eller vad det är. Det är någonting som gör att vi hela tiden ska bara fylla med yttre stimuli men också förstås prestera för, för att alltså, vi, jagar, vi jagar på, vi, jagar ju, vi springer från oss själva mm. utan att vi vet om det tror jag. Jag har ju gjort så här och jag håller på så här men jag har kommit fram till att nu måste jag bromsa upp för att ta hand om det jag har varit med om, det ja, min vinter så att säga. Mm. Det är ju när man är i vinter själv tänker jag på det då när jag har varit det mm. i samband med livskriser så blir man ju naturligt tung i kroppen. Mm. Mm. Och jag tänker liksom pandan är ju tung mm. och det är ju tänker jag för att kroppen vill sakta ner den mm. och att man inte ska vara så lättrullig framåt utan man ska vara mer i stillhet. Mm. Och förr i världen innan all den här digitala tekniken och, och liksom hetsen fanns så var det ju naturligt. På vintern kunde man inte jobba med jordbruket. Det var inget som hände. Man satt hemma. Det var lite kallt. Och man gick och la sig med. När natten kom. Mm. Man, hade, man pratade mycket om man hade liksom två sömnfaser under natten. För man la sig så himla Precis. tidigt. Ja. Och nu har vi ju ett antal moderna eh, medieföretag. Som jobbar för att äta vår pandatid. Mm. För de har kommit på att de kan inte ta vår jobbtid för den är vad den är. Mm. Så det är pandatiden de kan äta in sig på. Mm. Mm. Och det, därför ska tv-serierna rulla precis som du säger och nästa avsnitt knäpps på innan vi ens har hunnit reagera. Ja. Det är bara så här, man måste... sju, sex, fem, ja, fyra bum, går det på. Och man, man, man måste fast. kasta sig på liksom, och trycka på det här krysset längst för att stänga ja. av. Ja. <laughs> ja. Ja, det är och, värsta stressen. Det är stress och... Eh, vi som har digitala flöden, jag är, mm. är väldigt mån exempel om att eh, när jag postar ska ingen vara taskig mot någon annan. Nej. Så jag känner mig som en redaktör. Mm. Så jag är och kollar igenom allt hela tiden för jag mm. vill inte ha plats för näthat och sånt. Det, och det känner jag ett ansvar för. Ja, men mm. då varje gång jag postar så ska det där skötas. Mm. Och man måste följa upp alla e-mail som trillar in. Mm. Alltså all den här naturliga rytmen mellan ekor och panda. Har skurits bort med digitala tekniker. Ja för vi kommunicerar hela tiden i alla parallella kanaler. Så att om någon ja. inte får svar när de ringer eller smsar. Då är det Whatsapp eller. Ja. Så att det har just det. Men nu, nu kom det ett mejl här istället. Ja. Ja. Det kan vara jättebra också om man kan. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Liksom kommunicera kanske lite mera i grupp på, på olika bra sätt med familjen och, och sådär. Men vi måste sätta gränser. Det har vi också pratat om tidigare. Att annars... Det är viktigt för hälsan. Ja. Ja. Det här är superviktigt för hälsan. Så att vi ska träffa Catherine May snart hon är på väg hit. Så tror jag det blir en fördjupning om pandan. Och det här är så viktigt nu tycker jag i all modern hälsoforskning. Så liksom man har pratat om kost och träning. Nu kommer pandan väldigt stort. Mm. Behov av återhämtning. Mm. Och, och lika viktigt som de andra sakerna. Ja. Ja. Och det kan man också se tycker jag på folk som äter ganska bra. Och tränar som jättemycket och inte återhämtar mm. sig. Får en slags trötthet i ansiktet. Man ser att det där var inte hela lösningen. Nej. Eh, medan människor som, som vilar ganska mycket tittar på en buddhistmunk, de är igång och gör men de vilar mycket i meditationen oh. och som har det här upplysta ljusa liksom mm. i ansiktet det är så spännande att vi utforskar det ja. för det är, som, som du säger så, så kommer det ju nya tankar nya böcker, ny mm. forskning mm. och att få lägga det här pusslet tillsammans mm. med dig tycker jag är så roligt ja men vi är ju på vår oh. lilla detektivakt jag tycker det var så kul när du bestämde dig för att förlägga den här och roligt att få läsa och nu tycker jag att vi ska släppa in Katrin May eller hur? Absolut So now I'd like to welcome Catherine May. Thank you for having me. It's really a beautiful little room this, isn't it? Yeah. So cozy. Yeah. You've come from the UK to Sweden. It's February. It is a time of wintering here. Yes. In the UK spring is about to come, but mm. here you have wandered in your Birkenstock. <laughs> My woolly Birkenstock. Your woolly Birkenstocks. Tell me This book about cherishing the wintering aspects of our lives, why have you written it? I mean, the idea came to me in one big chunk. It felt like it downloaded. And as soon as I thought of the idea, it felt like a kind of mission because I wanted to talk to people about how to honour these times in our life where we are naturally laying fallow and not to think of them as some kind of a mistake or you know, a failure, because I think often when people are wintering, they think they've failed. And I instead, I wanted to just show people how survivable those times are and actually how important they can be, mm. even if they're not pleasurable. And that's the tricky bit, I think, because so much in our culture wants to lead us towards efficiency and squeezing the most out of every experience. And therefore, we want to see wintering as something that maybe we can succeed at and that we can 
have a really great time at. And I actually don't think that's the case. I think wintering involves suffering. Um, but it's time that we accepted suffering as, a, as an ordinary part of our existence. And that kind of takes the sting out of it a little bit. Hmm. I guess these insights were hard won in your own life. <laughs> yeah. What was your life like before uh, having understood the value of wintering? I think it it felt a lot like a struggle, really. I was always trying to find ways to make sure that it never happened again. And actually, I, I mean, I always say I think I've probably wintered more than most. I had a very sort of difficult childhood as an undiagnosed autistic girl Um, and that led to kind of mental health problems. And then as I got older to physical health problems as well, because one very common thing for autistic women is to experience burnout. You know, we throw ourselves at the world and try and get along with it and then get very tired and therefore have really, you know, powerful physical symptoms that can often take us out for a year. And that happened to me twice. And I... Also failed in the workplace a lot. So I was constantly leaving jobs that I thought were going to be mine forever. Um, and so I felt like I'd built up some expertise in wintering by the time I came to write this book. But before I began to model it as a particular season in my life, I was always trying to solve it. So I was constantly reading self-help books, thinking that, you know, I'd find the one that sorted me out finally. Um, I was constantly trying to push myself forwards, like to find the energy and the motivation or to find the right diet that would make me somehow infallible. There were just endless things I was doing. And I got to the point when I finally realized that it wasn't working, that none of it was going to stop me from being fundamentally human. And and it was actually my humanness that meant that I was failing at things. And that's quite a hard thing to accept, ultimately. Mm. I still struggle with it sometimes, you know, I still find myself trying to solve problems that can't be solved. But I've got a very different dialogue with myself about it now. And that's that's the huge difference for me. But the book's written as a very human account rather than a, a kind of expert account or a how-to. Mm. It's definitely about walking through it rather than telling people how to do it because I've got no interest in that. Mm -hmm. uh, There's one sentence in your book, a couple of which I thought was interesting. I've been that person to always reach for the unreachable. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of that person. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, I was a very academically successful child. And I used to tell people that I did that through hard work, but I actually didn't. I actually found schoolwork quite easy. And so then when I graduated into adulthood, I had all these ideas about what I could achieve. And I was constantly sort of propelling myself towards them and finding that I couldn't quite get there. And I still do that. I still see that as one of my positive qualities for the things that I love, you know, like my writing, I will throw everything at it. But I used to be 
doing that for everything else too. And therefore constantly kind of pep talking myself and not letting myself rest and not allowing myself to soften actually and to have a more gentle dialogue with the world, not giving myself time to reflect and absorb my surroundings and to just actually relax, just to enjoy the moment. I mean, the moment is such a loaded concept these days, but it was, I was never allowing downtime. Hmm. I think that person was exhausting, actually. It exhausted me, hmm. but it was, I was also quite exhausting to be around. <laughs> I can still be quite exhausting to be around when I've got an idea in my head, but at least that's in balance now with other things. I'm not trying to be a superhuman at everything anymore. Hmm. I've acknowledged that I can't. And I've also acknowledged that other people are better at, the, at that than me. And I'm kind of okay with that, as it turns out. It's much easier to live with a self that is understood and that you know its limits mm. um, than it is to constantly be trying to imagine someone better. There was no better, really. There was actually quite a lot of worse. And you get sick. So the book describes Absolutely. that you get physical symptoms and you have yeah. to start dealing. What, what happened to you exactly? When the book begins, I was working in an academic job. Um, and like I think, you know, like many academics, the hours were incredibly long. And, you know, you do that because you're really committed to your research and because you're committed to your students. But there was a culture in my institution of people answering emails at midnight, you know, and working all weekends. And, you know, there was the idea that we had these long holidays, but you always end up working through them anyway. And I was absolutely spent. I had a three or four year old at the time. He was, you know, constantly being shunted about to different childcare settings. And, that, you know, I was constantly organizing him. We were all just really tired. And so when the book begins, uh, my husband had an appendicitis, a, a really serious one. But while I was sitting at his bedside, I started to get abdominal, uh, abdominal pain, mm. abominable pain, yeah. I think it was, it abdominal was pain. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, and, you know, initially I dismissed it, but it got worse and worse. And, and uh, ultimately it turned out that I had a really very badly inflamed gut all the way through. Mm. And that's done permanent damage. You know, I'm still kind of living with the consequences of that now and I'm still having to manage it. But I felt like I'd almost eaten myself, you know. I felt like I'd lived with stress for so long mm. that I had harmed my body and taken it so far out of its equilibrium. And I'd been ignoring the signs of that coming for a very long time. Mm. And I'd been ignoring signs that I should have taken to a doctor a long time back. But of course, we don't do that quite often. We just carry on and we ignore it because it's not, tough to give in to illness and to realize that you're sick and it was only when I literally couldn't stand up anymore because I was in so much pain and I had a really deep-seated infection that took months to get rid of um, that had to stop me I couldn't do anything anymore mm. I was in constant pain and I have been it carried on for a very long time I've last six months I've got on top of it quite a lot but mm. uh, I'm quite pleased with that <laughs> mm. but you know it's these things are not 
insignificant. You know, mm. they are not petty health complaints. They're not the odd headache. You know, we're making ourselves very sick quite mm. often, by the way. We're charging through life. Mm. And I really, really did. And I found that to my cost. So you embark in the book on a journey to find another way, not another <laughs> new academic path, but rather a way to withdraw mm. with a lot of insights. And there is so much in this book. So one of the most endearing aspects, I think, is the connection you start making with nature. Mm. So why is the hazel dormice important to you? So we only have three species that properly hibernate in the UK and the dormouse is one of them. Catherine, I just want to translate to Swedish. Hibernation means att gå i ide. Det som björnar gör och den lilla musen som Catherine talar om. And at a conservation centre near me, I went to visit these hibernating dormice. And these are dormice that have been taken in because they have had their nest disrupted normally. So their nests get dug up accidentally or disturbed by children or animals and, and people bring them in. And so normally these dormice are a little bit underweight and not quite ready for their hibernation when they come into the trust. And so they they have a managed hibernation, which means that um, the dormice would naturally wake up a little bit every six weeks. Um, but here they're they're woken to weigh them and make sure they're still okay. So I was allowed to go and see these little dormice. Um, and I don't think I'd fully understood hibernation before and what it really meant because mm. the dormouse spends its whole year preparing for hibernation. It only wakes when there's enough fruit on the on the bushes and hedgerows to gorge on. I mean, the the task that these dormice undertake in terms of eating is absolutely extraordinary. They are trying to lay on as much brown fat as possible, the kind of easily burnt fat. And so by the time they go into hibernation, hopefully if they've been successful, they're so fat that their little arms and legs barely move anymore. And so that's what I found when when we unpacked these little dormice is that they were these little round balls with their tiny little feet and legs absorbed in. But they were also squishy in a way <laughs> that you would never expect. You can literally leave finger marks in one if you squish mm. it because mm. it's so built up. And at the same time, they're ice cold. They they drop their body temperature to four degrees. Wow. Which is extraordinary to touch mm. because... It, They were definitely alive, unmistakably, because of the squishiness, I think. Um, but they were also like little balls of ice. Mm. And that's uh, an act of survival that I don't think we can really grasp almost. That level of acceptance that in order to just simply live through winter, you have to stop living in any sense we'd understand it from... October till May every year. So that's the majority of the year. And even after May, they might go back into torpid states for a few weeks if the weather drops. So these little creatures are putting themselves in stasis in an act of brutal survival. Mm. And I found that strangely inspiring. I didn't want to do it. It didn't look fun it didn't look enjoyable but it was just this natural part of the dormouse mm. rhythm 
And it is for so many creatures and, and you know, other creatures on different levels as well who, you know, do who undertake brumation, who fall into torpid states because we always think that bears hibernate and they don't. Um, that points us as humans to a different understanding of how we survive our cold seasons as well, I think. Mm. I mean, interestingly, there's some speculation that early humans might have undertaken something that resembles hibernation as well, or that certainly that they would have retreated and slowed down and slept for very prolonged periods, um, which I don't talk about in the book. The research came out afterwards. It's it's a little bit controversial and a little bit unclear. Uh, it sounds reasonable for people migrating to the north when food was scarce. Mm. And that was also because it was interesting. I read your book just after Christmas. I was exhausted right. uh, of having been like working like hell, then going into Christmas mm. season working like hell yeah. and I was like my whole body screams slow down mm. and I've just been accelerating and there is something with this season of darkness of cold of everything mm. and we just have to deliver even more and it, you you just feel in your body that do you see what I mean like oh, it's absolutely. against everything you're, you're ready yeah. for it your body wants to rest it just I, I want to be a, half a hazel dormouse <laughs> Not maybe four degrees, but I can be 14. <laughs> I just I just want to be that cute and fluffy, actually. <laughs> but actually, you know, the, the cold sends all kinds of signals to our bodies. And I mean, and we have this in common with the dormice as well, because their hibernation is now being disrupted by global warming. They, they can't get their body temperature low enough in England to mm. reach that point. And we're not getting those sustained cold periods that keeps them cold. So that's really threatening their species. But like we humans are finding ever more ingenious ways not to feel the cold mm. and not to truly experience the dark as well. Mm. And while that has made our lives infinitely more comfortable, I mean, I, I grew up in a house that didn't have heating or double glazing. Yeah, so I read that. You had I, no heating, <laughs> no heating. We had uh, we had those little uh, portable colour gas heaters, yeah. Yeah. but we couldn't carry them upstairs. Mm. So there was definitely none upstairs and downstairs it was very situational. It was not pleasant and we shouldn't romanticise what life was like no. without that kind of thing. I, I, um, I hear a lot of, you know, tough talk about that and I, I'm not keen on it. But I do think that if we can get outside and sample the cold for shorter periods of time and, and just let our bodies know it's winter mm. and let our bodies adapt to the changing patterns of light as well, which we are so reluctant to to really sense, to mm. sense those darker evenings, to sense those darker mornings, to accept that the days are shorter. Mm. We have some mm. bodily systems that are ready to receive that information and to do different things in Very the winter. True. Very true. And we can just, yeah, we can make a few changes and I, I think it makes it easier. It's interesting because when you talk about becoming familiar with the cold and with the dark, you get very inspired by <laughs> a couple of Nordic things. Because when you say that to us as Nordics, we have no choice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have a Finnish neighbor in the UK. Do, yeah. You do a trip to to Iceland and to Norway, um, and you talk about the Sami culture, Sami culture, mm. So what do our cultures represent to you in terms of wintering? 
Why, why, what can be learned from others that for us is completely self-evident? Yeah, which it's it's Because probably so no absorbed into your yeah. culture that you wouldn't understand it. Whereas in England, winter is such a variable experience, particularly in the south where I live. And I think, I mean, I've I've noticed it so much since I've been here. The way that you are all adapted to making winter comfortable Everywhere is lit by candlelight, even in the daytime. You don't see that in England. It probably seems so ordinary to all of you and such a a simple instinct to light warm light in the winter. But whenever I suggest that to English people, they kind of look at me like I've come up with this brand new concept. We're, we're, sort of, we're kind of terrible at it. And I think you have a way of dealing with winter that doesn't forget that it's winter mm. but which makes winter deliberately comfortable you know so candlelight wrapping up properly you have proper clothing mm. here you have a culture of getting out and doing things in the cold we have to yeah you the have car, to you've got to fix the car you've got to go to work yeah. you know, i mean you can't that is <laughs> Hardcore fact. It would it would be absolutely pointless to try and resist it. Mm. And it would also make life much worse. And I got very interested in sauna culture, which mm. my friend Hannah, my Finnish friend Hannah talked about. I mean, the Finns are, they see having a sauna as a basic human right. You know, <laughs> even if you live in a block of flats, there will be a communal sauna. Um, and Hannah talks about how, because she lived in the north of Finland and how, essential that becomes when you're snowed in because it adds a rhythm to the day and I think we learned this a lot even those of us that don't get snowed in during the pandemic that when you're stuck inside and you're in that claustrophobic situation with your family and you're despairing a bit because you're wondering what's going to happen next having something that gives your day a pleasurable routine and that creates leisure time is just invaluable. Mm. And I, you know, not everyone can have a sauna of their own. Um, and I certainly don't respond very well to them. When I took a sauna in the book, I yeah. fainted out cold on the floor. You were very, just, yeah, you felt, yeah. yeah. But it's, I think yeah, a lot of Swedes love the sauna, Bastu. Mm. And um, it's a thing you can get used to. Yeah, by doing small chunks. And doing small chunks. Maybe you had too high temperature <laughs> from the beginning. It can be very I've, daunting. I've never been good in heat. I um I've since found some some cooler saunas that I quite like being in. They're not too hot. Uh, mm. But I I'm not good in the summer either. I'm a little bit prone to overheating. Mm. But it it's maybe not the sauna itself, but it's a very beautiful way of expressing this desire for warmth and comfort and quiet time. You know. Mm. It's very quiet in the sauna. Yeah, yeah, you can't take a phone into a sauna. Mm -hmm. It's no. a it's a really intimate kind of enclosed space. Mm -hmm. A little bit like this recording studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But with, with another temperature, exactly. <laughs> another interesting track was the Celtic mm. culture, which you write about a lot. The ancient mystical bod ridden culture of the British Isles. I, I actually discovered I have some Celtic DNA in me. So I... How lovely. Yeah. Uh, and a new set of God. And I think we should listen to a bit of Celtic music. So tell us about the, the Celtic culture. How did it relate to the seasons? So the Celts believed that winter began on the 1st of November. 
So Halloween, which we've all got much more used to, you know, in the last 20 years, I think, was this gateway into winter. And winter for the Celts was this mystical time. The darkness for them represented emerging with the metaphorical darkness. So it was almost a time when reality and the, the other world, what they called the other world, had this merging, this sense that things could pass between them. Um, they they sort of explained it as the veil between the two worlds wore thin. Mm. And so what the Celts offer us is for a start, a kind of mythology of winter about how it was created and what it means and about winter being this gestational period of the year, this time when the year has grown old, but it's therefore wise and it's reflective and it's um, full of full of kind of knowledge that will get passed on when the year is reborn in the spring. But it also, I think, expresses the sheer weirdness of that period. There's something about Celtic culture that's able to embrace the the strangeness of a time when we're spending a lot of time in darkness and when our dreams are closer to us because we're waking in the night and when we're uncertain about what's moving around in the shadows almost. And that is a part of winter that I think we need to go back to embracing is what it brings up for us, the, the ghosts that haunt us in the winter and how important those ghosts are to us, how important those spectres of people that we've loved and lost, for example, or of regrets, of, of kind of the ruminations over our past. We need to find a way to honour those again. And I, I think Celtic culture does that so beautifully mm. and is so full of interesting ways to help you think about it. It's fascinating when you say this, because before we walked into the studio, I we talked about the panda which we talk about a lot, pandan, uh, the parasympathetic nerve system, which is the face of being where we digest, rest, learn and come to terms with things. We build our muscles, we build our mm. understanding of what we... So I'm, I'm thinking this is a fantastic picture of what panda time can be. Does that resonate <laughs> with you, Catherine? Yeah, I I would like to make panda time a bit more spooky. That's going to be my contribution yeah, to panda yeah, time. Yeah, but panda time is digesting not only food, but experiences. Absolutely. So they can be happy, they can be hard, they mm. can be, you know, rich. Yeah. Learning takes place in the panda. I mean, the deepening of understanding of things. I, I'm just picturing this lovely cozy panda. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. irresistible. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we now have the dormouse, we have the panda. You, you need to find a dormouse concept now, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do, we do, we do. But no, I think um, that these things that we're talking about digesting and assimilating, mm. that's definitely the work of winter. And we we need to find a way to do that that allows the full spectrum of emotions mm. within that. I think... We're so often urged towards reflecting in a way that brings out the positives and which is about gratitude and which mm. is often about visioning our best self and how it's going to go into the future. But that's just one part of the work mm. that we need to do. 
And we need to be able to look the darker bits in the eye too mm. and, and our darker emotions, but also the darker things that have happened to us. And mm. that's where that kind of Celtic winter, I think, is so beautiful, actually, mm. to live mm. through. One thing that moved me a lot uh, is you describe how you lose your voice. Mm. And I've experienced that too when I was very, very sad once in my life. And you cannot sing of a sudden. It's like the whole sadness sits here in your throat chakra. Tell me what happened and how, how do you see that now? Yeah, it was a it was a time when my voice began to crack and break when I was talking. Yeah, and you've got a lovely melodious voice, so it's hard to understand. <laughs> But well, I, I mean, I think my voice now is the result of the training I did after that. I think mm. I was using my voice with a lot of force that was very bad for it, actually. Mm. But of course, I didn't realize that. And and what I felt instead was that something that became like a tickle in my throat and then an itch and then I would be talking and my voice would just cut out. And I I've I've I was a chorister when I was younger. I've always loved singing uh, and I found I couldn't sing anymore. I just couldn't hit the notes and it's something I'd always taken for granted that if I wanted to sing a note I could find that note in my voice. But some of my notes just weren't there. And I went to the doctor and they didn't find it very interesting really. They couldn't see any polyps in my throat and so that was the end of that. That was the end of their account they could make of it, really. But it was only when a friend suggested I went to a singing teacher because she pointed out her, her husband works in musical theatre. Uh, and she said, well, singers retrain their voices all the time. They have to. And yeah, so I went to see a t- singing teacher and he said, we'll, we'll remap your voice, which mm. is, I mean, it's a, it's an incredibly clever thing that looks like standing and singing in front of some sheet music. Mm. But I realized immediately that I'd lost my middle C, which is always where you start when you sing. Mm. You know, mm. you start your scales from middle C every time and you go up from there. And I, as I was trying to sing it, my voice was just glancing off of it. It was such a strange sensation not to have that control. So we we worked for weeks on finding the song in my voice and channeling the energy of my voice in a much more kind of gentle, intuitive way. And we did that by reading Under Milk Wood by Dylan Thomas, mm. which I'd always loved anyway. And my teacher just happened to open the book. And he was talking about how how Welsh, another great Celtic culture, mm. uh, full of song as well, sings their everyday speech. Mm. And so I learned to do it too, not, I should add, in a fake Welsh accent, but by riding those beautiful rhythms that are contained within Mm. that text. It's taken me a long time to realise that I'm using my voice very differently now. I'm not forcing it in the same way. And I think I was shouting to be heard. I think I Mm. felt like I'd come back into the workplace as the mother of a young child, and everything felt hard. And I felt like I was forcing my way through quite often. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've learned to use my voice in a different way. And and it's interesting because I hear it in so many other people now that they are forcing their voice too. You can mm-hmm. hear the quality mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And I always want to stop them and tell them, but it's not a not a <laughs> not a welcome thing for a stranger to walk up and tell you. But 
I think we could all spend a bit of time working with our own mm. innate song. You know, there's something about the way that our voices want to speak and want to express themselves. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in this age when we're communicating more than ever and we're broadcasting our lives on social media and every fourth person I meet has got a podcast now, <laughs> you know, we're all at it. Mm. Um, it's interesting that we feel unheard so often and that so many of us feel like we have to shout a bit louder and maybe the reverse is is what's actually necessary do you feel that you sort of found this deeper more resonant singing voice in the winter landscape because i'm i'm asking you because i think i have i can hear my own voice uh when i'm in the panda landscape it's just such so much nicer voice than when i'm a squirrel which i am too uh, like totally hectic blah 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 yeah, blah, yeah. blah blah go Sc- like this totally around, in the head yeah. blah, 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 the manic and then you know when you <laughs> calm down reflect it's mm. just you charge so much more emotion and wisdom into it because you have time yeah i mean i always associate winter with singing because of christmas carols and i've mm. always been as a child i was always preparing for carol concerts mm. and singing in chapels in can- candlelight you know it's one mm. of my favorite times mm. of year because mm. of that I think in lots of ways, though, there's something lovely about that squirrel voice, too. Like when we're high and bubbly and, you know, that sound of two people laughing together and Mm. bouncing off each other is a different kind of song. It's more like birds in the spring. But I I just think a lot of people miss their their panda voice, as you'd put it. (laughs) Sorry. I know. I'm I'm going with it. Um, You know, or their winter voice. Mm. I, I think people maybe don't have a way of expressing that slower more considered voice mm. the the voice that is reflective on a fundamental level that takes things at a steadier pace and that meanders um is nuanced yeah. is nuanced if you think yeah. about twitter mm. i would say it's the opposite of the panda voice yeah 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 it's Squirrelly. like the aggressive squirrel i'm right you're wrong mm. you're an idiot and here is three sentences where I shoot you. I yeah. mean, it's yeah, black yeah. and white, you know, it's very It's simple. very dismissive, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is dismissive. Yeah. yeah, and I've I've been reflecting on that personally a lot lately because I've been on Twitter for a long time and I've always loved it there and found it a really stimulating place where I've got friends. But I've noticed as I've got older that the first thing I see when I log on this morning, every morning, is pages and pages of anger. That's the the dominant note. Yeah. And every piece of that anger is valid. Like none of it is misplaced. You know, there are so many things in the world to get angry about. But the problem with social media is that we see all of it at once. And we can't process the whole world's anger in one go. And Even Twitter though it wants you to yeah. become angry too. That that is what yeah, I reflect on. You know, it's not a selection you have made, it's been made for you to entice your anger and yeah. mine anger and Karina's. So we become kind yeah. of products. You know, if if the product is for free, we are the products. Yeah. And and they want us to be angry, upset and share it. It's devastating thought, it isn't is, it? Uh, uh, well, it's it's another program, but I mean it's it's definitely not <laughs> wintering in Panda Land. In fact I, I if uh, this is slightly off topic, but mm. I think it's it's quite interesting. Um I 
completed half a PhD that I gave up on because I ran out of time and money. Uh, but I was looking at um, our behaviour on Twitter through an anthropological lens. And I was looking at it in particular in terms of animal behaviour. Mm. And the idea of the danger signal in the animal ki kingdom. Wow. Yeah. You which... are my girl, Catherine. I love that. <laughs> wow. I love that. It's Yeah. I was looking at, uh, there's an evolutionary concept of costly signaling, which is where you essentially take a risk that demonstrates your commitment. Like rabbits, for example, have this white tail that flashes when they're running away specifically. And it's this big visual signal to other rabbits and then the other rabbits will run and it it kind of grows exponentially and so you can get whole kind of packs of rabbits flashing their tails together and that's us on Twitter. Mm. We're danger signaling mm. and we're particularly alert to danger signals. We're primed to exactly. notice danger signals above everything else exactly. and what Twitter does, it says, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, this is dangerous, mm. this is dangerous. And then we talk about the danger and then our friends talk about the danger and then the danger feels bigger because we're all panicking together. Very I personally feel like it's time for me to break that pattern yeah, yeah. in my I agree life. with you. I left a couple of years ago because I could feel in my stomach that it was... I could do better things for humanity in yeah. other fora. Uh, I don't think we are made to receive danger signals from billions of people. Exactly. But maybe from 30 people in our little group, yeah. uh, which is slightly yeah. different. <laughs> But that that's me. Well, and that, yeah, and then those people can moderate the danger signals exactly. for us, whereas Twitter doesn't moderate yeah. the danger signals. It just increases them. It increases. Uh, yeah, exactly. You had a wonderful live Instagram with Karina, and there you said something where... I was feeling in my stomach, it started churning, which means it hit me. <laughs> uh, you said, these days I try to tell people that I do as little as possible. Mm. And I was like, oh shit, this is so wise, but why do I react so to it? Scary that, isn't it? It is yeah. a scary thought. It was to me. Yeah. So I learned something about myself there, yeah. how I get value. But but tell me how you how you think. It was another thing I noticed about myself that whenever somebody greeted me on the street, they'd say, how are you? And my gut response was always to say, busy. Oh, busy. Yeah, really busy. Yeah. And I was saying that even when I wasn't busy. And I thought about that and I thought, well, why, why do I do that? What does that mean? I mean, I know it's a convention, but also what it says is other people find me important. It's all right, guys. Like, I'm special. Hi, you know. And I just thought, I'm going to start telling the truth about that. You know, and sometimes I am busy, but actually I increasingly try not to be very busy. That's how I plan my diary now. So I'm not going to give all my diary secrets away because people will intrude upon them. Uh, but I keep swathes of time completely free and utterly unbookable. And if somebody tries to book a slot with me in that time, I will tell them that I'm busy because... Big insight for me. Nobody can see inside my diary. <laughs> They don't know I'm not busy, but that time You're is, busy with you. I'm busy with me or I'm I'm busy doing nothing. Mm. And I, I was talking to a writer friend recently and he said the, the secret to being able to write is not to set goals. It's to make space for anything to happen. And I that really struck home with me. That mm. was a that was a gut churning moment for me because actually 
I don't think I was always making that space for anything to happen. I wasn't leaving things open-ended. So I leave loads of time open-ended and I've stopped lying about it to people too. I say, no, I'm really sorry. I just don't want to do that much in a week. Thank you. But I'm, you know, I'm available next week. And it, it's really hard for some people to hear. And it, you, if you do that, you have to be ready for that to make some people very angry indeed. And you feel the flash of their rage come at you and they'll say things to you like, well, I can't do that. I don't have the privilege of doing that. Mm. And I say, no, I'm, yeah, that's right. I'm really sorry. That's really hard for you. Mm. Nevertheless, I'm still not available. Because I think what's invisible is how hard I've worked to make this privilege of, of having mm. time. Like that's something that I have labored for for a long time to, mm. to teach myself to be less busy and to reject the productivity culture that I fell so in love with in my 20s mm. and which served me so badly. So, yeah, I spend a bit of my time managing other people's emotions around that. And mm. they often come back to me. And they throw them later. at you instead of looking at themselves. Oh, well, initially, of course. Yeah. I mean, you, but you do. You get that flash coming from people of, of absolute disbelief. Like it seems... To them to be an insult almost, you know. You're you sound not... like a sort of Marie Antoinette kind yes. of luxury. Yeah. Let them eat cake, you know. How <laughs> dare I? Yeah. 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 But but quite interestingly, I think people will come back a few weeks later and talk to me about it. Mm. They, you know, they, they will reflect after a while. Mm. I would recommend it to anyone making more time. Well, and also uh, being more honest that sometimes we are busy and sometimes we're not. And that's fine, you know. And and also those times when we're not busy might indicate something about us. You know, it might indicate that we're not well or it might indicate that we're going through a hard time. You know, perhaps we've lost our job. Perhaps mm. we're depressed. Perhaps we're grieving. Maybe it's really good to let people know that, mm. that we're not doing much at the moment. And maybe that's a an intro to talking about whatever it is we're going through rather than hiding it and pretending that we're fine and therefore not getting the community and support that we actually really need to to heal and feel better very true it's very vulnerable that i think it, it that's, is that's it's, why it's uncomfortable it mm. it is vulnerable and it yeah but it's interesting how much your ideas of allowing for the panda in you can like it did in me but i didn't throw it at you i immediately started looking at myself and and so but it's interesting that it can provoke mm. reactions so these patterns that we choose you know i think a lot of us want to look at our lives like we we have to yeah but actually we do a lot of choices yeah. for instance we choose to watch a lot of tv every day mm -hmm. no one forces us no. we have to work to support our families but how we work, where, yeah. what type of level, perhaps we have larger choices. So, uh, yeah. My old meditation teacher, she used to say, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> we choose to do stuff because we don't like the consequences mm -hmm. of what happens if we don't do these things. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I th I think it's mostly true. I mean, I think... There are times in our life when we're more restricted and I think poorer people have fewer choices, you know, and I think it's really important not to talk over that accidentally. But there are sometimes there are slow choices we can make. Sometimes we can't make instant choices about our life, but we can 
reshape her life slowly over many yeah. years. That's definitely a choice available to everyone. You know. But I mean, she was quite tough with this. She really? said, because I said to her, no, I've got to look after my children. No, you don't. You choose to mm -hmm. because you're not prepared to accept the consequences of not looking after them. Yeah. It's a choice you make. That was liberating for me to mm. realize. It's actually, I don't have to do, you know, I don't have to look yeah. after my children. I this choose to do choice. it. Yeah. I choose to do it. Yeah. I, th I find that a very useful thought that I remind myself of quite often with particularly with domestic things actually mm. because I can get very frustrated by domestic restrictions you know I've got to clean this house up oh, I've got to cook dinner again yeah. you know yeah <laughs> and actually I th there's some Buddhist teaching about it which you know it's essentially saying do everything you do with love and intention mm. and I remind myself of that at those moments and I remember that I'm cooking food because I want to eat good food and I Exactly. want to share good food with my family. Um, I'm cleaning the house because I want to live in a relatively clean house. I mean, let's not overdo it. It's not, it's not a, an immaculate house by any means. But it, I go I, to I was, work oh, because I want to have an income. Yes. I mean, I could choose not to work and die mm -hmm. from starvation. I could choose mm -hmm. that. I wouldn't like the consequence. Yeah. But it is an interesting thought. It's quite challenging, but it is an interesting... It is challenging. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's really helpful, I think, to always think about the lifestyle choices that you're making you know and I don't mean that in a fluffy way I mean mm. it in a in a really fundamental way yeah. you know like what size house you want to live in mm. is determining it determining how much money you need to make and all of those sorts of things and we do have choices quite often mm. I love that you mentioned about tv because I hardly watch any tv mm. And it outrages people when I tell them that. You can see that flash because they think it's snobbish. They think it's me rejecting TV because I think I'm too good for TV. I think TV's great, but I have other priorities. I'm, I, I can't watch TV and read all the books I want to read and, you know, do, do all the various mm. things I want to do. And so TV kind of goes because mm. it's lower down my list than other stuff and my time on this earth isn't infinite and I just need to make space. Mm. Yeah, just that it's a choice. Mm. There's the choice, yeah. I, I wanted to uh, end off with testing a thought on you, Catherine. <laughs> and recommending everyone who has ever had a winter in their life, i.e. all of us, to read your book. Because it, I think it's a wonderful book to be inspired to look deeper into yourself. There is so much in there, so many threads, slow cooking, Celtic gods, your own journey, nature following the rhythm, your connection to the Nordic culture. Mm. Uh, but one thought that I was going to check on you, I've worked a lot in India and um, in the Western culture, we are sort of born with the notion that there is a destiny for all of us. And we just have to reach further and further. And somewhere there is that miraculous golden path where we're going to succeed and be like the ultimate American success stream. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They have something else. And I don't want to romanticize Hinduism because there's lots of, of mm. difficult things in there like the caste system. But they have a notion of something they call Dharma. It's your life's mission. And the way of finding that is asking yourself the question, what do I do when I make other people happy? And that's not happy like applauding and run faster. That's like on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. um, 
when I was taught this by an Indian, I started seeing that when I'm always in my squirrel, I don't actually make other people very happy. I am my best gift to the world when I am a combination of my squirrel and my Mm. panda, Mm. when I am in balance. Does this thought resonate with you? I was thinking a lot about it when I read your book, you know. That I, by cultivating your panda, you you make yourself a gift to the world. Really, you you are mm. a much lovelier person to, to kind of have around. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I love that. I mean, I'm a I've got a deep interest in Indian culture as well, and I one of the things that that expresses is their understanding of us as never a standalone, as always part of a network of other people, mm. and that's something that I think we can find truly hard to grasp that we're always impacting the people around us and yeah I I mean I think these wintering times are fundamentally about fostering wisdom and you know that wisdom is hard earned it's not the kind of wisdom that you're going to read on a little square on Facebook that you can click share on it's it's deeper it's complex it's nuanced it's discursive rather than didactic. You know, you you have to talk about it with someone else to share it. You can't hand it down simply. And that's that's what we come back contributing. And I I I think we come back as softer, gentler, more open people from a wintering. Or we do if we've really let it in. We come back able to be more compassionate, be more empathetic, be kinder, understand what other people are seeing and doing and going through. And yeah, we we absorb back into the framework of life that is fundamentally interconnected and not separate. And I, for me, that's what those reflective times give to us. Wow. That's so beautiful. And to those wonderful qualities, I, I think you're you're spot on. Can I add one more? Oh, please, yeah. Humor. Mm, humor. Humor gets eaten in stress. Yes. There's no humor in stress. But also we we laugh and joke at the darkest times. Exactly. It and lives, I, yeah. It lives in that Celtic darkness, you oh, know, kind yeah, of quirky absolutely. Monty Python humor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and actually, I, I have a little theory brewing that a lot of contemporary drama, which we absorb, we, you know, which is what we consume, we we watch drama on the TV, we read very dramatic novels, that humour gets lost in those books and in those films and in those TV series. And for me, that dehumanises it. I want to see always that balance of light and dark that humans bring to everything. Like we have joked our way through the darkest times in human history and I don't think that's an accident I think that's part of us expressing the range of our emotions to their fullest and and yeah you definitely come back with a dark deep sense of humor Mm. Mm. yeah (laughs) wonderful uh Catherine thank you so much thank you it's been lovely the whole energy in the studio has gone into complete panda mode we are very panda right? yeah very panda I love it I wish you all the best with your wonderful, wonderful book. And people want to find you, your podcast, you on Instagram. Where should they look? Um, you can go to katherine and find links to everywhere I am. So I'm on Instagram 
I'm trying to be on Twitter less, but I am there. And my podcast is called The Wintering Sessions, mm. which is should be available wherever you get your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Oh, en av de saker som övervintring pratar om är slow cooking och en av mina mest älskade sätt att laga mat som är både slow och simple det är stora fat där man blandar protein, grönsaker, bra fetter, smaksättare och så grillar man allt i ugnen och så sprider det här en ljuvlig doft och i Grekland där säkert många av er har varit så har jag ätit underbar mat på stora plåtar eh, kyckling med dill och svarta oliver och dillens gräsliknande sötma bryter fint mot de svarta olivernas lite mer metalliska sälta. Svarta oliver får bli veckans planta i olivträdet alltså. Ja, olivoljan har använts som läkemedel ända sedan Hippokrates tid på 400-talet för Kristus i den grekiska övärlden. Både för huden men också invärtesbruk. Den har en hög halt enkelomättat fett som alltså påverkar kolesterolvärdet positivt. Och är rik på polyphenolerna våra antiinflammatoriska vänner. Svarta kalamatas är mina favoritoliver och ihop med dill, alltså en fantastisk smaksättare. Och så här ser min bästa helt vanliga söndagsmiddag ut. Och om du inte har exakta grönsakerna så experimentera lite grann. Jag tar eh, fyra portioner, en kyckling, eh, tre morötter, två röda lökar, två paprikor i valfri färg, en fänkål, en zucchini, två citroner, en burk svarta oliver, gärna kalamatas och en halv knippe dill. Och så har jag sett till att jag har olivolja, flingsalt och svartpeppar. Börja med att sätta ugnen på 200 grader och så sköljer jag ur kycklingen. Skalar och ansar grönsakerna och skär i lagomma bitar. Och så tar jag fram en ungsplåt. Och då lägger jag upp 
morotsbitarna brukar jag börja med på plåten med lite olivolja på. Och lägger de andra grönsakerna åt sidan. Och så lägger jag kycklingen ovanpå morötterna. Gnider in den med olivolja med handen, en tvättad hand. Trycker in en delad rödlök och en tudelad citron i bukhållan. Och kryddar med flingsalt och svartpeppar. Och så kör jag in ungsplåten med kyckling och morot. Och under tiden så blandar jag ihop de övriga skurna grönsakerna, oliverna och finklipp dill i en bunke. Efter 30 minuter så tar jag ut plåten, då är liksom kycklingen halvklar. Och så häller jag på de övriga grönsakerna med dill och oliver runt omkring. Pressar en citron överallt och häller på olivolja. In i ugnen igen och så låter jag allt stå. Och jag brukar använda en sån här köttermometer. Kycklingen bör ha ungefär 74 grader och det brukar ta 30 minuter till. Det beror lite grann på vilken ung man har. Och det är då med att ha ett och ett halvt kilos kyckling. Ta ut kycklingen, låt vila något och så skär den i bitar och servera ovanpå de grillade grönsakerna. Och det är jättegott med en sasiki till det här. Det finns fina sasikis att köpa färdiggjorda med en grönsallad. Och det här är en bra start inför måndagen och det brukar bli ganska mycket mat så man kan få en eller två bra lunchlådor också. Karina, det var ju ett, alltså vilket möte, vilken fantastisk person men det är också denna vackra engelska. Alltså ja. det är ju ett så ja. rikt språk och hon, men nej men det här att utveckla bistånd i vintern. Ja, det har ju långsamt mot nya stora insikter. Ja, tänka lite sfäriskt, inte liksom bara från A till B så fort nej. som möjligt. Nej, nej men hon, jag tar med mig så mycket. Nu har jag ju läst den här boken flera gånger. Men det ska bli spännande att se vad, vad läsare tycker här eh, i Sverige. Och ni som inte har läst den än. Men, men det som jag tar med mig från samtalet är ju till exempel det här med att inte när någon frågar hur är läget? Så här, jo, vi är fullt upp. Jag håller på med det här och det här och det här. Mm. Bara för att man ska liksom, så, alltså, så där har jag ju hållit på. Jag, jag mm. tror många kan känna igen sig mm. i det, vad man än jobbar med. Mm. Eh, det, det kan ju vara fritidsgrejer man också har, har på gång. Absolut, liksom. och barn och allting. Ja. Mm. Eh, att allt agendan ska vara så full och det är lika med bra, det stämmer ju inte. Mm. Liksom. Utan, och jag tror att väldigt många i vår tid har börjat fundera mer över det här. Vad vill mm. jag göra med mm. min tid? Det är det viktigaste som finns. Vad vill jag göra med min tid på jorden, min mm. tid denna dag? Mm. Jag vill inte bara maxa den med saker som bara ska göras och presteras. Mm. Utan jag måste kunna landa i vad som känns roligt och stort och fantastiskt. Och Äkta och svårt. Och, och svårt. Och, mm. Även de som Catherine säger, även de mörka mm. känslorna. Mm. Och det är det som Ja, men den här boken, den är ju rolig också. Det är ju det, att ja, det liksom finns. Det är ju det är så mycket, så det, det är mycket Så liv. det är ingen deppig läsning, Nej. det ska vi säga. Utan, Nej, det är en utan, life affirming. Jag vet ja. inte, livsbejakande ja. läsning, verkligen. Och Catherine skrattar, hon så här småskrattar ju hela tiden. Ja, det är lite det så, hon. det är lite ja, det roligt. Ja, det gör hon. Och det, nej, men det är väldigt livt tvärtom. Ja. Genom att bejaka sin vinter, att bli riktigt livsbejakande, ja. så ja. känner jag. Att, att den är hitta den här kontakten med sig själv. Som gör att man kan säga, nej men vi kan ses nästa, nästa vecka. Ja. Inte imorgon. Ja, ja. Och det blir bra. Det blir mm. bra. Jag har bestämt mig nu eh, under den här att eh, jag ska prova nu i en månad. När folk frågar vad jag gör. Så ska jag, så ska jag vara väldigt ärligt om jag är 
jättebissig eller halvbissig eller bara har möjligheter att liksom ta det lite lugnare. Mm. Jag ska prova det mm. och se vad som händer. Ja, att frigöra mer tid. Ja, vad säger du? Hänger ja. du med? Ja, ja, jag har ju redan bokat in. Min, jag har liksom en, jag du ska är redan där. övervintra den här våren, sommaren. Så att jag har ju medvetet tackat nej till uppdrag, ja. gjort mer, frigjort mer tid mm. i kalendern mm. för att se vad som ska hända. Mm. Precis, idealet behöver inte vara den här utfasade, nej. sönderstressade utan en människa i balans. Mm. Ja. Mm. Ha, då jag säger det nu här så jag kommer rapportera tillbaka om det om några veckor hur det mm. går. Mm. Det ska bli intressant. Vet jag faktiskt inte riktigt hur jag kommer klara. Men det jag ska bli intressant. Prata mer om. Ja. Mm. Ja. Och om du har tankar om det här. Balansen mellan ekor och panda. Och vad vintern har betytt för dig i ditt liv. Insikter, problem. Tillåter vi vinter, tillåter vi inte vinter. Så skriv gärna till oss. Det här är ju ett väldigt spännande mm. ämne. Eller hur? Du kan mejla till halsorevolutionenpodcast.gmail.com där vi svarar inte varje dag men vi kommer återkomma med ett svar. Och sen så finns vi också på Instagram. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.